I'm Jonathan Aberman. Coming up on today's show... Across the life cycle of a contract, there's this long performance period, and in the middle of that, there's these contract administrators working at small, medium, and large government contractors who have to make sure everybody follows all the rules so that they get paid for the great work they're doing. And one of the things we saw as a big opportunity is they spent a ton of time chasing their supply chain. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. Government contracting is an entrepreneurial activity and is often thought about as something that will exist in an island. People who make technology products that solve direct problems are often thought about as an island. Every now and then you find a business where somebody combines both. And that's what we're going to talk about today with Tonio De Sorrento, the founder and CEO of GovPort. Give a listen. Tonio, great to have you here. Thank you, Jonathan. It's a pleasure. You're very much part of the tapestry here and uh, here in the region. A lot of people uh, look to you for leadership as you get about your life. But you started out as a lawyer, as I recall. It's something you and I share. Tell us a bit about your entrepreneurial journey. When I got out of the Marine Corps, uh, I was an artilleryman for a bit. My brothers and I bought a pizza shop together, and we cratered it within two years. Uh, this is my first company. Thank goodness it was a small magnitude mistake. But I, I didn't see that on LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> didn't make it on there. Okay. Uh, Tonio's Pizza Shop. But then I, I was a lawyer at a large law firm, really enjoyed that, learned a lot from my customers, my clients. And they kept telling me, you'd be happier out here. I ended up leaving to be general counsel of a couple of my clients. Co- clients, uh, learn a lot from the people I worked with at those places, and eventually started my own company. This is So GovPort's my second company where I'm a venture-backed co-founder and CEO. I'm sure you get this. I, I, having myself been a former lawyer, I must have at least one conversation a week with somebody who's practicing law who says, boy, I really would like to become an entrepreneur. And uh, I'm interested what advice – I'm sure you have the same conversations. What what advice do you give people who are in a professional services industry, consultant, lawyer, uh, and so forth, about the pros and cons of changing your life and becoming an entrepreneur? Well, I was at a, a big law firm for maybe five years, and uh, it was a while ago. Now that I'm on the other side of it, I look back, I see that the people who ran that place were great at sales and relationship management. And that's the same as on as anything you're going to start on the outside. If you're in a service business and you can be you, you're the kind of person who's a partner who can actually sell and you're willing to be uncomfortable. That it's it's very much the same. If you're in a service business, and instead you're you're a service partner, what we call them in law at a big law firm, like you're an expert at a very narrow thing, and you love being comfortable. It might not be very fun for you to be the the business person in a in a startup as opposed to like a technical expert. You know, it's it's interesting you describe it that way because when I I look at any entrepreneur to back, I always look first of all as to whether or not they have found me by way of a referral. And the reason why I do that uh, is because frankly, if they can't convince somebody to go reputationally risk, they're not a good salesperson, right? And uh, and I'll often explain that entrepreneurship really is is a series of sales transactions. It's it it really is. You got to get out there and convince people to do your bidding. See the future, sell the future. Exactly. And you got to sell it to investors. In my case, if you're venture backed, 
or or not bootstrapped. You got to sell it to people who work for you, and obviously you got to sell your customers. Yeah, and then uh, and then at the end, if you're lucky, you get to sell the business, and then you sit around and play golf and get bored and start another company. That seems to be what happens. Some people are, yeah. I I, I love what I do. I, I I not that I've had the thing where I got too rich to work and played golf, but. I think that I will always be starting companies, and I know a bunch of people like that. Yeah, so the newsflash is you get rich enough, you can have a radio show. So just so you know, <laughs> if you like to model things. But but more more to the point, so uh, I'm here with Tonio De Sorrento. He is the founder and CEO of Govport. And um, so let's turn our attention to what you're doing all day right now because uh, I will tell you, I, I find it really important so many of our listeners here on the Federal News Network are involved in the government industry and government contracting in particular. And I'll say this with love in my heart, being a long-term venture investor and not a government employee, I think that government contracting is the highest form of brain damage I've ever across in my life. It is un- The rules are unbelievable. Uh, it, it is so arcane and so complex. And I'm very interested in GovPort because, frankly, I think you've got an answer that would make it a lot easier for people, frankly – to do their jobs. So tell, tell them a bit about Govport. Yeah, and I'll tell you how I got to it as well, uh, Jonathan. I was invited to not be CEO anymore of my last company by my, my biggest investor toward the end of 2021. That's it a nice of, euphemism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, it kind of hurt my feelings, but uh, it's their choice to make. And so I had to pick what to do next. I love running companies. I love helping people, uh, you know, working to, to build things. And I've lived in... Northern Virginia since I got out of the Marines in 2005. So, and I'm in a Naval Academy grad as well. So I also went to college nearby. So I'm so, my friends, family, neighbors, you know, my business contacts in town, many of them are in government contracting. And I just thought, I've never done this myself, but I love so many people who do it. So maybe I'm not the guy to start a government contractor because I've never sold to the government, but I know how to make what we call vertical SaaS, software that's customized for users in a specific industry. And I know a bunch of these people and I want to help them. So that's how we we got oriented to GovPort and oriented on helping government contractors. And then when I looked at the market, I thought about what are the problems people have that aren't really well served by software? Um, venture capitalists overlook this market entirely. It's They don't think about it because they're, they don't have companies who are customers uh, who sell to the government, so they don't think about making support software for those companies. Mm-hmm. And then the incumbents in the space are great at what they do, but they've been around 30 years. And they're focused on the functions in government contractors that are attached to money, which completely makes sense, right? Sure. So GovPort, thing was, we want to love government contractors, we want to make stuff for them, but what do you make first? And we had a, we spent a lot of time thinking about that with uh, me, my friends, business partners, investors. And about a year ago, we got real conviction that the place to start was helping contract administrators. Uh, the long-suffering contract administrators. Yeah, yeah. Right? Because people who's – there's lots of great software and services for people who sell stuff. The business development stack, BD Capture and in, in GovCon, they call it. And there's lots of great software for the CFO stack. Accounting, invoicing, timekeeping, passing audits. Because, again, there's money attached to it. It's a big deal. And enterprises need that. But then they're across the, the life cycle of a contract. There's this long performance period. And in the middle of that, there's these contract administrators working at 
small, medium, and large government contractors who have to make sure everybody follows all the rules so that they get paid for the great work they're doing. And one of the things we saw as a big opportunity is they spent a ton of time chasing their supply chain. Like the commercial world is a supply chain, but in the federal government contracting space, it's the subcontractors that they have. In federal government contracting, you have a different supply chain management challenge than you'd have in commercial work because in services, if you hire McKinsey to do something, just make me a thing and give it to me and go away. In federal government contracting, we have important social policies like small business targets or veteran-owned small business targets based on the buyer at the federal government that hit the prime, and the prime contractor who works for the feds, and they have to find small businesses to work with. And those people are per se less sophisticated, even though they're great at what the buyer needs. If it's background investigations, they're great at that, but they've never been great at running a, a, a big company, which is why their companies are small. Well, there's that. But, you know, what what I have found, because I've been a, a small business subcontractor more than once, and uh, the the when you're not in the industry <clears throat> or you're a small business without a lot of compliance support, the, it's very burdensome to to comply with all the you know the requirements. I mean, you talk about the the, the set aside rules, but just I don't have software that I'm exporting. I I don't employ people that, that look like or act like this. I, and and on and on for pages and pages. It's an, an unbelievable compliance challenge. I mean, geez, I, I recently was asked to sub on something just to provide some individual consulting work, and I I had to describe and and disclose why I didn't have government standard accounting. It's like, I'm sorry, but I, I just, I don't manage, I'm, maybe I shouldn't say this on the air, but I, I don't, you know, I, I use QuickBooks. I'm sorry. You know? Yeah, that's a, the concept in, in GovCon is flow downs there where the prime contractor is great at, at managing a big company and they're in privity with the government and they've agreed to follow all these rules. And then their subcontractors just get stuck with those same concessions because the prime agreed to it. They don't always need to be stuck with them, but- Primes don't always, uh, they're not always great about uh, weeding that out. They just play it safe. This is very in- interesting to me, obviously, because uh, I'm sounds like I'm a long-suffering subcontractor, but also for the economic development of the region. I'm here with Tonio De Sorrento, founder and CEO of GovPort. Uh, Tony, when we come back, I, I want to pack uh, unpack a little bit more this um, how to let small businesses work more efficiently with the federal government as a way to really uh, up our economic game. So we'll be right back. any nexus to the federal government, you can win from anywhere, but it's easier to win here. So I've never wanted for peers to spend time with in fintech or edtech or now in govtech.
love hearing from our listeners. You put us in touch with some of the best voices in the Washington, D.C. region. We've been hearing from you and speaking to the people you want to hear from. That's what What's Working in Washington is about. We talk to the power players about innovation, the federal government, and how business in the region is keeping us competitive. But more and more, we talk about the hard questions and look for the real answers that will drive the region and our nation forward. If you know someone we should be talking to on our show, do let us know. We look to shine a spotlight on people who are really getting things done in the region. So please keep those ideas coming. And thanks to all of you who stay in touch with us. Antonio de Sorrento, the founder and CEO of GovPort, before we took a break. Uh, we framed the problem of uh, it is massive compliance. Um, it's really hard to be a small contractor, subcontractor, and it's hard to manage the subcontractors in what is frankly the largest part of our regional economy. So, Tonio, how exactly is GovPort addressing? You, you, you sold very well why there's a problem, and I could hear your passion. It's like, somebody's got to fix this. Okay, well, you got my attention. How do you how are you fixing it? Yeah, well, again, we have a heart for gov for for contract administrators because in most jobs, there's like upside. You know, you sell more, everybody celebrates, but these people, they have their job is to play not to lose. So they have to make sure there's no mistakes, and it's not even in their own company. It's that none of these small companies that they're working with, their teaming partners or their subcontractors, make mistakes. Well, you you're a lawyer, as am I. I think I recall that it's not just that. It's like the people who are responsible for making sure the contracts function properly face personal liability if things go wrong, right? I mean, this is not like uh, an academic exercise. This is people go to prison when things go wrong kind of exercise. It's a very important risk management uh, duty for the primes. Okay. And so, and they, and they invest in that risk management by hiring contract administrators, but because it's a cost center, mm-hmm. people don't make great software for it. So they're using SharePoint, they're using Excel spreadsheets, they're using yeah, The good pensions. ones are keeping track of everything on a spreadsheet because these things expire. Mm-hmm. They, they're something like a certificate of insurance. But there's there's no there's no uh, technological constraint that would prevent us, that prevents anybody from, say, tagging a certificate of insurance with its expiration date the second it's loaded and making sure that nobody lets that expire. Mm-hmm. Um, and so GovPort... We're here, contract administrators at Prime's Bias give us away to their supply chain, to these subcontractors and sometimes 1099s, and say, populate this with the things that I need to know about you for this contract. And when they do that, first of all, they're not having to open like all the PDFs and tag them and all this themselves. And it's done consistently. And and the upside for the Prime clearly is like they're takes less time, costs less money, and there are fewer mistakes. But for the small companies, they never would have been able to afford a system of record to run their company on. Nobody's coaching them up on like what you have to have in what sequence or order to be a government contractor. You were just talking about that with, with your uh, company, Jonathan. Mm-hmm. And so when the prime gives us away to them, they get a benefit. They get coached up on this stuff, and they get to keep it no matter what happens with that 
prime relationship. And what I find interesting, frankly, is the way you're doing this, uh, speaking as a guy who invests much more in, in commercial software and technologies, is you're very much taking a commercial approach. It's a it's hosted software. It's it's light. It's e- it doesn't require installation. It's not particularly expensive, and it's got a really nice front end. It's just it looks like a consumer product. More, you know, it just it just looks. Thank you. That as a compliment, John. No, I, I hope you see it that way. And I and uh, you make it easy. I hope that people take advantage of this um, podcast and go and check it out. It would make their lives a lot easier. I like the product. I guess you can tell. Uh, feel a little bit like Victor Kayam. If you remember, I'm aging myself. He liked the Razor Company so much he invested in it. I like Govport so much I had you on the show. But anyway, um, Govport, you know, that that's an interesting one because I started the conversation by uh, entrepreneurial journey. And, you know, one of the parts of the entrepreneurial journey that I, I really have enjoyed and find interesting for myself is is the challenge of naming a business. So when I started Amplifier Ventures, my uh, venture capital business years ago, I started it because with the name Amplifier, because I'm a guitarist. I wanted to call it Six String Ventures, and my wife said, no, you're not a gunslinger. Was that? Both good choices. Well, exactly. And then uh, along the way, I've named businesses uh, in other ways, including one business I named after my cat. Uh, but uh, you didn't start out with Govport as your name. You started with a GovWin. What What happened in the how, – how, biz- how does an entrepreneur start with the name – and what goes into changing a name? Why? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, first of all, I didn't have a cat, so I was stuck, right? I, well, you didn't have I a cat named Govwin, apparently. Start, yeah, Govforce in our case. But right. yeah, right. Govforce, exactly. Govwin's pretty great, too, though. Yeah, they're love wonderful, guys, but they're not on the but, show. Uh, love yeah. you all. But um, it, we went with Govforce. We were, I was thinking from afar, I want to sound like a very comprehensive vertical SaaS business, a company that's going to make all the things that government contractors will want. But as we listened to our customers over the past number of months, they keep describing the, what's valuable to them, and we want to, including like this communicating between teaming partners, sub to prime, prime to sub, safe place to store all their things that's organized. And it just connoted to me and my colleagues like port, you know, port mm-hmm. carry or port park, you know, safe place for boats or ships. And uh, right. Naval Academy guy, right? Yeah. Same port, right? Like, so. Port left side of things. No, not. We, we don't have a, a port starboard a, a analogy yet, but... um, You'll work on it. Yeah, we're working on it. But <laughs> it, it, it just seemed like if we could, after being in the market for a little while, if we could name our company and our product, which is also called GovPort, after something that was suggestive of what we do, it would get us even closer to um, onboarding people without confusing them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes I- it easier to sell and makes it easier to meet people and for them to guess what we do. It's interesting to me also because it reveals something about the entrepreneurial mindset, which is that uh, we, and I'll include myself, are always highly acculturated in gathering data about how people are responding. And to my mind, what you're really describing is you went out and you started to sell the product. And what you began to realize is that people were responding to the product set. And, and so all you've done is basically change the name to reflect how people are actually experiencing your product. And, and I think that's a really interesting lesson for those of us that are thinking about, well, does a name really matter? The answer, I guess, is yes, it does. And B, you should be listening to your customers. That, absolutely. And it's also nice to own the .com of our name. Yeah, yeah. That, that's why I was very happy my parents named me Jonathan Aberman because fortunately it's a name that, you know, it was very easy to get the first uh, Twitter handle and so forth. But in any event, not that that matters anymore because Twitter isn't Twitter. But look. I want to turn our attention to um, more selling the region 
as an economic opportunity because you've had experience here. You had, even though we didn't mention the name of the company, a leading Silicon Valley company around finance. You were a big part of it. So you've operated in various ecosystems. What's your what's your selling what's your selling point or your selling mantras? Why should somebody be here when they can be anywhere to pursue an entrepreneurial journey? Well, I think it, if, you, if there's any nexus to the federal government, you can win from anywhere, but it's easier to win here. Mm. And that, that was my case in this business. We also have a big education technology market in this region. If Capital One here on the financial side and, and many other uh, you know, really important companies. So I've never wanted for peers to spend time with in fintech or ed tech or now in gov tech. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that the government contract industry in this region is really given the respect that I think it should be given as an entrepreneurial community. Yeah, people, there's a glamour to things with venture capital attached, I, I think, sometimes relative to service businesses. Yeah. And a lot of successful federal government contractors are service businesses. Um, and so they, they live off the money they make. The owners have great lives. The employees have great lives. The customers get what they wanted to buy. And there's there's just not the same level of maybe product risk, but they definitely take career risk when they start those. So they deserve attention, you know, uh, accolades yeah. and, and the money they make. Um, but I, I would guess that part of it is that there are so many successful services businesses around here, going from law firms to lobbying firms to all the GovCons, um, relative to some cities where it's all long, it's moonshot products. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I think, well, I think that the the media and the venture industry both love the people who play lotto and win, you know, the Mark Zuckerbergs. Yeah. And uh, yet, if you look at this region, there are so many people that have grounded out. A number of years ago, I, I compared the merger and acquisition markets here in the Silicon Valley. And this is an unbelievably vibrant M&A market. Uh, in, in fact, in many ways, it's comparable because, but it, most of it is in the vertical integration of the GovCon sector, you know? Last thing I'll just bore you with is a number of years ago, I had a bunch of entrepreneurs, wealthy, successful entrepreneurs in the room, and most of them were product people, you know, from companies, uh, name brand companies, and there were a couple of government contractors. And the the product guys were all talking about how rich they were. I mean, because, you know, I get sometimes, you know, people do that. Oh, I'm so – anyway. Then they're talking about how successful they are. And and, the, and the, one of the GovCon guys looked at him and said, look, you guys, just – I think it's all great you're talking about how successful you were, but – the reality is, is that I'm worth a lot more than all of you together. And it was just like, and then people ran the math and said, well, yeah, he's, he's kind of right. And, but he's not on, you know, he's not a name brand guy, doesn't run around, doesn't own arenas or, but, but yet he made his way in government contracting. What, what do we need to do? What do we need to do to make people proud of government contract in this community? Well, I don't know. That's, that's a good one, right? I, I cause I'm, haven't lived here for almost 20 years now, and I'm only now coming around to working close to government contractors. Huh? I, I don't know. I, I I think people there's um people will um denigrate like it's a tough sales cycle. That you talked about the hard compliance part. People overweight the pain. I think relative to the value that comes from doing a good job for taxpayers or America, like it's it feels good, right? That people want to work for you when you do that. Yeah. And also it's. I think also the financial rewards, they're quiet. It's not $100 million all at once. It's a 
you know, a million dollars a year for a long time yeah. into, into some, a person who's very successful in their pocket. And I, I know a bunch of people like that now, but I did not know them before. And I, it was, uh, it was opaque to me. I, it's, I, I guess all I'm saying, I'm agreeing with you, but I don't have an answer. Yeah, it's, it is very interesting and, and to me. And, uh, and I think it's something that, to be honest, over the next year, I, I plan on really trying to highlight, which is that the more that um, we can celebrate you know, frankly, one of the dominant uh, economic clusters in a region, the better off we're going to be. And, and and by the way, that's one of the reasons why I like your product is you're going to help small businesses succeed. And so listen, you mentioned it 20 years, you were wait. What's, what was your biggest surprise when you, you came back after having been away for a while, you know, other than uh, everything seems smaller. <laughs> I just, that's what I found when I come back for time. But what was your biggest, what surprised you most about coming back? I was so, I got to say, traffic always seemed so big, so big and, and impossible. And then I learned as I came to live here as an adult, you know, you can have a happy neighborhood, construct a great life with a commute and everything is actually very livable. That It's maybe not what you're fishing for, but I remembered it as an impossible place to put stuff together when I was super young. And now as a, a parent, husband, business leader, I'm, I love it here. And proud owner of a teleportation machine. No, I'm just kidding about the last part. Yeah, Listen, yeah. Uh, Tony, it was, it was great having you here today, and thanks for telling us a bit about GovPort, and uh, it was just great to have you. Tony De Sorrento, the founder and CEO of GovPort, thanks for being with us. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you, Jonathan. We love hearing from our listeners. You put us in touch with some of the best voices in the Washington, D.C. region. We've been hearing from you and speaking to the people you want to hear from. That's what What's Working in Washington is about. We talk to the power players about innovation in the federal government and how business in the region is keeping us competitive. But more and more, we talk about the hard questions and look for the real answers that will drive the region and our nation forward. If you know someone we should be talking to on our show, do let us know. We look to shine a spotlight on people who are really getting things done in the region. So please keep those ideas coming And thanks to all of you who stay in touch with us. What's working in Washington? That's a question we often hear. The reality is Washington works every day at looking at the issues that have to be addressed, solving problems when we can, but more than anything, the crossroads for where change will occur and needs to occur. This show, What's Working in Washington, brings voices into the studio so you can hear from them what they want to do and how they want to contribute to this great enterprise we call the United States of America. What's Working in Washington is a team effort. Our executive producer and editor is Tracy Madigan. Our assistant producer is Anna DeGraff. The theme music you've been listening to is performed by the Sunbathers. And thanks to all of you for joining us on What's Working in Washington. You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast.